It's Tech Fighter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 276 for January 22nd, 2012. This week, the saga of SOPA and PIPA. Secunia PSI keeps your PC up to date. In short circuits, Kodak is bankrupt. Jerry Yang exits Yahoo. A suit that fits Netflix and a mess on your shoe. SOPA and PIPA. Either the right way to do the wrong thing or the wrong way to do the right thing. This is an opinion piece, and at the risk of being accused of engaging in politics, I feel it is important to say that SOPA, the Stop Online Piracy Act, and PIPA, the Protect IP Act, are ill-conceived and badly written pieces of legislation that virtually anyone who knows anything about the Internet is opposed to. In an attempt to make this a top-of-mind issue for more people and to encourage opposition to a bill crafted not by members of Congress, but by the movie and music industries, Wikipedia and Google, among others, this week highlighted the legislation. This really isn't a conservative versus liberal, Republican versus Democrat issue. The bills both had support and opposition from all sides of the political spectrum. Visit Wikipedia's English site on one day this week, and instead of millions of articles, you got just one. It's true that pressing escape or disabling JavaScript allowed users to search Wikipedia, but the alert page doubtless alerted millions of people to what could happen if this legislative monstrosity ever manages to become law. Wikipedia even explained the workarounds. During the blackout, Wikipedia is accessible on mobile devices and smartphones, the information said. You can also view Wikipedia normally by disabling JavaScript in your browser. Our purpose here isn't to make it completely impossible for people to read Wikipedia. And it's okay for you to circumvent the blackout. We just want to make sure you see our message. Google's site still worked as expected, but the site called attention to the proposed laws and asked visitors to tell Congress not to censor the Internet. The Mozilla Foundation and many other high-profile organizations have stepped up to oppose SOPA and PIPA. SOPA is the House's version of the bill. PIPA, the Protect IP Act, is the Senate's version. These bills probably would reduce piracy, but they would also force website owners to prove their innocence instead of depending on prosecutors to prove guilt. Does that seem just a little bit un-American to you? All power would be handed over to the big media companies at the expense of the Internet and its users. And by the way, the users are you and me. Now let's be clear. Nobody is making a case for piracy. I wouldn't shed a tear, not even part of a tear, if somebody shut down Pirate Bay. But I would like to see startups like YouTube succeed. Today, YouTube is big enough to survive on its own, but if SOPA and PIPA had been the law of the land in YouTube's early days... The service would have been killed. If somebody posts copyrighted material to YouTube, here's what happens. The service removes it as soon as it becomes aware of the problem. The movie and music industries would have services such as YouTube be shut down permanently. The whole site shut down. If even one bad actor posted illegal material. Wikipedia explains it this way, and I quote, SOPA and PIPA would put the burden on website owners to police user-contributed material 
and call for the unnecessary blocking of entire sites. Small sites won't have sufficient resources to defend themselves. Big media companies may seek to cut off funding sources for foreign competitors, even if copyright isn't being infringed. Foreign sites will be blacklisted, which means they won't show up in the major search engines. SOPA and PIPA would build a framework for future restrictions and supervision. In a world in which politicians regulate the Internet based on influence of big money, Wikipedia and sites like it, said Wikipedia, cannot survive. Here's Google's opinion, and I quote, Two bills before Congress, known as the Protect IP Act, PIPA, in the Senate, and the Stop Online Piracy Act, SOPA, in the House, would censor the web and impose harmful regulations on American business. Millions of Internet users and entrepreneurs already oppose SOPA and PIPA. Reddit chipped in, too. I quote them. Today, for 12 hours, Reddit.com goes dark to raise awareness of two bills in Congress, House Resolution 3261, the Stop Online Piracy Act, and Senate Bill 968, Protect IP, which could radically change the landscape of the Internet. These bills provide overly broad mechanisms for enforcement of copyright, which would restrict innovation and threaten the existence of websites with user-submitted content, such as Reddit. End quote. The bills, as I said, aren't supported or opposed by any one party or the other. Barbara Boxer, a Senate Democrat from California, supported the legislation. So did Jared Brown, a Democrat here in Ohio. Michelle Bachman, House Republican from Minnesota, and Nancy Pelosi, Senate Democrat from California, oppose it. It's more of a question of those who understand technology and those who are clueless. And I have to admit placing Boxer and Brown among the clueless while Bachman and Pelosi somehow are among the clueful. And that surprised me more than just a little. So if this were a political issue, I'd be telling you that we should all be standing behind Barbara Boxer and Sherrod Brown. Instead, I'm saying that these two politicians don't have a clue. Somehow, Michelle Bachman and Nancy Pelosi ended up on the same side, the right side of the issue. So go figure. Two groups that have been fighting PIPA, SOPA, and their predecessors for more than a year are Demand Progress. That's a left-leaning organization run by David Segal, a former Democratic Rhode Island state representative and candidate for Congress. And Don't Censor the Net. That's a right-leaning organization run by Patrick Graffini, who is a webmaster for George W. Bush's re-election campaign and former new media director for the Republican National Committee. If you find the Internet useful, whether looking up information on sites such as Wikipedia or enjoying the antics of cats on I Can Has Cheeseburger, you should be opposed to this bad legislation. And now is the time to let your senators and representatives know how you feel. And if you'd like to see another pretty good explanation of SOPA and PIPA, although it's a little rough, you'll find a link to The Oatmeal on TechBiter.com. By the close of the week, Congress was backing down. As Jonathan Wiseman reporting in the New York Times put it, and I quote, As a result, the legislative battle over the two once-obscure bills to combat piracy of American movies, music, and books, and writing on the World Wide Web may prove to be a turning point for the way business is done in Washington. It represented a moment when the new economy rose up against the old, end quote. The old economy, that would be your K Street lobbyists, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Recording Industry Association of America, the Motion Picture Association of America, and such. The new economy? Wikipedia, Google, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Wired, thousands of smaller Internet concerns, and citizens of the Internet. Netizens, in other words.
Two bills that once had wide bipartisan support are seeing sponsors quickly disassociate themselves with legislation, just as big registrar GoDaddy flipped from supporting the bills to being neutral on them and then flopped to oppose the bills. The MPAA's website blusters against the opposition, possibly in part out of embarrassment. The studios have been pressing Congress to act against offshore websites that serve unlicensed copies of movies, and now, after four years of making such claims as piracy costs as many as 100,000 jobs a year, they've seen their overreaching bills go down in flames. Note the weasel words in that claim, as many as. How many times have you seen that in advertisements? That sentence would be true if piracy cost 100 jobs a year or even one, instead of 100,000. I, for one, would like to see some research by an independent auditor to support those claims. Now keep in mind, this isn't a battle for or against piracy. No rational person who is opposed to SOPA and PIPA is for piracy. Piracy is a problem. Factories in China, Russia, and elsewhere turn out cheap knockoffs of U.S. movies, music, and books. But the laws, as written, would, either accidentally or intentionally, have done irreparable harm to the Internet. In his New York Times article, Jonathan Weisman summarizes the situation very well, and I quote him. And for all the campaign contributions, Washington parties, and high-priced lobbyists the old economy could muster, nothing could compare to the tentacles the new economy can reach into Americans' everyday lives through sites like Wikipedia. Aides to Senator Harry Reid, the majority leader, say he will press forward with a vote Tuesday to open debate on Protect IP. Negotiators from both parties are scrambling for new language that could assuage the concerns of the Internet community. But expectations are now that the bill will fail to get the 60 votes to move forward. A significant setback. The words of Jonathan Wiseman from the New York Times. On last week's program, I mentioned Secunia's personal software inspector. And this week, I'd like to tell you a little more about this free utility program. When I installed it and allowed it to scan my primary computer, I expected to find no significant problems. Oops. Although I earned a fairly high score, 91%, PSI still found some problems. If security and having up-to-date applications... A function of security, by the way. If these are important to you, then check out the Secunia website and the free personal software inspector. The installation process is very easy, but I thought we'd take a look at some of the options. You have just three decisions to make, and of course, if you change your mind later, you can modify the configuration settings. The first two decisions are on the auto-update configuration screen. I selected the option to allow automatic program updates. When this is enabled, the Secunia PSI will continuously monitor if secure programs that can be auto-updated are detected on the PC, and automatically download and install the suggested security patches on the PC. And although I like the idea of automatic updates, I also would like to know what the application has in mind. So I also selected Prompt Before Running Automatic Program Updates. When that one's enabled, an approval icon will appear in the scan results if a program is about to be updated. The update will not start 
until the approval icon is clicked. The final decision is requested in the tray icon configuration screen. Because I like to know what an application such as this has accomplished, I selected Show Detailed Program Changes. When this setting is enabled, the Secunia PSI tray icon shows detailed information when program changes are detected, and it includes the names of the changed programs. If the setting is disabled, the tray icon shows only that changes occurred without giving any details about what program changed. Secunia PSI told me the operating system was up to date. Most of the applications were up to date, too. Most, not all. That was kind of a surprise. It found Adobe Audition 3. Well, I've updated to Audition CS 5.5, so really the version 3 just simply needed to be removed. Shockware Player 10.0 was installed. Well, version 11 is available, so I had PSI download it. Flash Player 10.2 has been updated to 10.3. Shockwave Player was listed again. Hmm, strange. Told it to update that. Apple Safari was listed. I don't use that, but a new version is available, so I installed it. Firefox. Hmm, seems that 3.6 and 10.0 are both installed. Well, I know how that happened. So I removed 3.6. Irfanview, there's a new version available. Installed that. Thunderbird, don't use it except for testing, but I updated it. Opera, oh, needed an update. It's now at 11.6. Winamp, needed an update. It's now at 5.623. And Microsoft Net Framework needed an update, so I installed that. After the round of updates, my score had increased from 91% to 98%, but Adobe Shockwave Player 10 was still shown as end of life, even though I had updated it three times. Microsoft Net Framework still showed insecure, even though the Microsoft updater said everything was up to date, and I had installed all the Net Framework updates. And Secunia told me that there was an application called CURL.exe listed. Hmm. Well, for Shockwave, I suppose I could just install the update a fourth time, but I suspect it won't be any more successful than the first three. Two Shockwave entries were listed in the Windows Uninstaller dialog, so I removed both and then installed the same 11.6 version that I had downloaded and installed three times previously. Well, Secunia PSI still thinks version 10 is on the computer, even though it's been removed, and it still claims that 11 is still insecure, even though I've installed the most current version four times. Net Framework, that's up to date no matter what PSI thinks. And that leaves curl, C-U-R-L. It is not in any way associated with the application that happens to use a file by that name. Secunia has simply misinterpreted the name C-U-R-L.exe to think it's part of another application, which is a file transfer application. It is not. It is actually a component of the alien skin Wingnut Lo-Fi application. So the lesson here is not to take any automated process at face value, not even a good one like Secunia PSI. If what an application tells you seems like nonsense, well, maybe it is nonsense. Bottom line, three cats, solid but not perfect. Secunia PSI keeps your computer up to date and may keep you just slightly confused. Secunia PSI is a worthwhile, useful application, but it's important to treat it the same way you would treat any other soothsaying fortune teller. Treat the report with skepticism. Act on reasonable suggestions. Forget the rest. For more information, see the Secunia website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. <laughs>
short circuits. We've known this was coming, but it was still a sad day when once mighty Eastman Kodak Company filed for bankruptcy protection. Kodak is filing for Chapter 11 protection, listing assets of $5.1 billion and debts totaling $6.8 billion. The company owns thousands of patents pertaining to digital photography, but it has been unable to sell them. Kodak did many things right in realizing that digital photography would forever change the way we create and share images, but the company was unable to capitalize on its attempts to transition from being the film company to being the picture company. The fact that most people create far fewer prints today than they did in past years didn't help either, nor did the fact that Kodak managed to bring to market some of the worst digital cameras ever seen. Kodak's CEO, Antonio M. Perez, said that bankruptcy is a necessary step and the right thing to do for the future of Kodak. It is, in fact, the only way the company might survive. Kodak has been around for 130 years, but since the advent of digital imaging, the company's market value fell from $31 billion to $150 million. Since 2003, Kodak has closed 13 manufacturing plants and 130 processing laboratories. It has cut its workforce by 47,000. Kodak now employs 17,000 people and has not been profitable since 2007. By mortgaging all of its properties, Kodak has a $950 million loan that will last for 18 months. During that period, the company hopes to find a buyer for its 1,100 patents. In 1930, Kodak was added to the Dow Jones Industrial Average market indicator. In 2004, the company was delisted. Since then, it's been a long, slow downhill ride. Kodak has been suffering, actually, for about 40 years. Founded in 1880 by George Eastman, Kodak became the American Photography Company. But Japan's Fujifilm entered the U.S. market around 1980 with films that reproduced greens better than Kodak's films. And then digital imaging brought an end to Kodak's film and chemistry business. Yahoo co-founder Jerry Yang rode the web portal business to its zenith and watched as mistakes nearly destroyed the company. Now, after 17 years, he's announced he will resign from Yahoo's board, the board of Yahoo Japan, and the board of Alibaba Group Holdings, which is owned in part by Yahoo. In the end, it was complaints and questions about conflicts of interest that resulted in Yang's decision. Besides being a co-founder, Yang is a director, owned a lot of the company's stock, and he's a former chief executive. Following his resignation, Yahoo's stock rose about 3%. Earlier this month, Yahoo hired former PayPal president Scott Thompson as CEO to replace Carol Bartz, who was named CEO in 2009 and fired about four months ago. Yang said only that he made the decision on his own and that it was time for him to pursue other interests. He had nothing else to say. Although Yahoo was an early leader in Internet companies, it has been eclipsed by companies such as Google and Facebook. Overall, though, it was a pretty good ride for Yang and David Philo, the other co-founder. Yang and Philo together made a fortune from the company that started as a hobby when they were students at Stanford.
For Netflix, it's as easy as one, two, three. One, price hikes and ill-advised decision quickly rescinded to split Netflix into two companies. Two, plummeting stock because of number one. Three, class action lawsuit because of number two. Well, as surprise endings go, this isn't one. A group of investors in California has filed suit against Netflix and certain of its officers and or directors. The suit in U.S. District Court alleges that the company insiders concealed negative trends and sold their stock at a time when they knew trouble was ahead. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings, Chief Content Officer Ted Sarandos, and Chief Marketing Officer Leslie Kilgore are among those named in the suit. Last July, Netflix announced that it would split the DVD service and rename it Quickster, split it from the streaming service, which would retain the Netflix name. At the time, Netflix stock was valued at nearly $300 per share. A few months later, after Netflix had lost nearly 1 million subscribers, its stock was selling for $77 a share. The price has recovered partially now to about $100. The suit covers actions taken between July 12th and October 25th last year, a period during which the defendants are accused of making false and misleading statements. Those named in the suit sold a combined total of 400,000 shares of stock valued at about $90 million. Online shoe retailer Zappos is being sued by a customer who's annoyed by a data theft that the company notified its customers about. Personal data from about 24 million accounts could have been compromised. That creates the potential for a lot of unhappy people. The company is owned by Amazon.com, so you might wonder if this calls into question Amazon.com's data security. If not, it probably should. Zappos says that names, email addresses, billing and shipping addresses, phone numbers, the last four digits of credit card numbers, and encrypted versions of account passwords were likely compromised. The most critical problem, then, is the password problem. A lot of people use the same email address and password for lots of accounts, including bank accounts, so this isn't a small problem. Of course, one could easily make a case that anyone careless enough to use the same username and password for a bank account as they do for an account with a shoe retailer is simply asking for trouble. And it is important to note that those passwords are encrypted. If there is good news, it's that Zappos says credit card numbers and other payment information remain secure because they are maintained in a different database. Zappos reset all customers' passwords, but also turned off phone lines to its support staff. So, if you're a customer with a question, you'll have to contact the retailer by email. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, attorney Mark Gray filed suit in federal court at Louisville on behalf of Zappos customer Teresa Stevens of Beaumont, Texas. The geography of these class action suits, which is what Gray wants this to become, is more than a little puzzling. Zappos is located in Henderson, Nevada. The aggrieved customer is in Beaumont, Texas. So, of course, the attorney, who is from Louisville, has filed suit there. Zappos Fulfillment Center, also known as a warehouse, is located in nearby Shepherdsville, Kentucky. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.